NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that you can stay close to your team even if you don't live in their town. Like, maybe you're a Raven who married a Seahawk who got a job in the land of the Falcons. With NFL Sunday Ticket, you can watch your team's out-of-market Sunday afternoon games no matter where you live because you shouldn't have to change teams even if you change towns. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. This episode is brought to you by Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic, a two-in-one probiotic and prebiotic formulated with 24 clinically and scientifically studied strains to support healthy regularity and your gut, immune, and skin health. Optimize your gut health. Visit seed.com slash Spotify with code Spotify for 30% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. The grade cricketer is a Twitter stream. It's about playing crickets at the grade level. Boys! Get a few today, did you? To be honest with you, I um, hate grade cricket. <laughs> uh, I went into to play for a team called... Um, oh, the name escaped me. Obviously, sharing's always a big issue, a big issue for, for young kids coming into a senior cricket team. I was like a wizard league. Um, a bit of advice for the players. Yeah. one. I refer to the great cricketer here and I'll say, this will do a little bit early. (laughs) Holy shit, Australia are really bad at cricket again. Again, a famous 4-1 series win to the Bangladeshi Tigers over there. England-India going on. Joe Root right back in the big boys. Boomer with his nine wickets. Et al. The Ashes is still ever-present in the mind. Joffre Archer ruled out of the Ashes. Therefore, do we even want to play anymore? The hundred still going on. Andre Adams joins the show, as does Fados Munda, who's going to be talking to us about the social justice and national, sorry, nation-building project in South Africa. Some truly horrendous stories coming out of there. Uh, this episode, as ever is brought to you by Budgie Smuggler. You can use the code CHAMP for free shipping at budgiesmuggler.com. Hashtag RCDC. Oh, there were some belters this week. Some belters. My name is Ian Higgins. Sam Perry is he. Pezzy lad. Let's just get straight into it, mate. Let's get straight into it. Did you catch the cricket? (laughs) Did you catch the Australian cricket team play? I caught uh, some stills of it. Got got some stills. Yeah. Got a couple of stills. Uh. Yeah, Dan Christian scored runs in one match. Yeah. Mitch Marsh hit his 40. Yep. Odd. Nathan Ellis got a hat trick on Dubu. Yep. And they dropped him. Mitchell Swepson, three for 13. First time he's played for Australian ages. Plenty of of positives. Mate, plenty of positives to take away. Mate, I could hear in your introduction, Mm. uh, you know, a slight kind of somberness and a tremor to your voice. I mean, is this this the voice of. Is this the voice of crisis in Australian cricket? Because if it is, yours is the only voice I'm hearing <laughs> of crisis. I mean, when I look at it yeah. at face value. Look at it. They lose to the West Indies 4-1 yep. in a T20 series. Yep. They then lose to the Bangladeshi Tigers 4-1 in a T20 series yep. with a T20 World Cup two months away. Yep. They did win a one-day series against the West Indies. And congratulations to them. However, Mm. it is the least important time to win an ODI series if you consider World Cup cycles important. Let's not take it away from them. Yeah, they played well. But the the T20 format is a format that is gaining in credibility. There's a World Cup coming up in two months' time, and we've been shellacked by two, what can I say, best? 
the West Indies are great on their day. Mm-hmm. I'd call them in world in in world context a middling side. They're about fourth or fifth. Bangladeshi Tigers haven't qualified for this T20 World they Cup. They have not qualified. They are in. So the, the T20 World Cup is Group A, Group B, Group One, Group Two. Okay, Group A You've lost me. And Group B, <laughs> I'm just talking about horse groups. <laughs> carrots. <laughs> well, Australia did fucking run out of some carrots, run out of carrots, yeah. let me tell you. Ten months ago. Let me tell you. Okay, so how that how the World Cup works is Group A and Group B play first. There are four teams in Group A and Group B. The top two teams of that in each group then go into Group 1 and Group 2, which is where all the qualified nations have already played. Group A and Group B consist of teams like Oman, Papua New Guinea, Scotland, Netherlands, Bangladesh, Ireland, I'm missing out some others. You get the idea. Okay. Bangladesh are in that. Tim Cutler here. <laughs> Bangladesh are in that. Tim will appreciate that. He will. Associate Nations. Respect. Um, Bangladesh are in that. They've got to beat Oman before they come into the World Cup. And Australia just got fucking pumped by Bangladesh, which uh, climaxed last night, as we all did, when Australia were bowled out for 60 in the fifth and final T20. My concern with the Pez is that no one cares enough. It's not on television here in Australia. There doesn't seem to be any... It's 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 very um, answerable that we're missing. Stoinis, Maxwell, Warner, Finch, Smith. Cummins. Cummins. Okay, that's fine. You can take that as well. Those guys would play in the Australian team if they were available. Maybe not Stoinis. Maybe not. Maybe not. He does play a lot in the T20s, but he'd be... Oh, his reputation's enhanced greatly. From... <laughs> yeah, yeah. As is the Australian team team when they don't play, mm. especially on television. Um, and it's all just very, like, explainable. But how has it got to a point where Australia now has lost five T20 series in a row? We've, we've lost eight of the last ten in the space of a month. And Australia cannot score over 120 runs in a T20 even they lost a game. They lost a game, chasing one thirty or something. And they were one hundred and seventeen for four. I understand the wickets are difficult. Bangladesh are good at home or some shit. I don't know. There doesn't really seem to be that many alarm bells ringing when there's a pattern here over the course of probably two or three years, but particularly the last twelve months. We're like, what series does Australia have to lose before we're like, hmm, something's not right here? Because we lost to fucking India C at home. <laughs> we obviously didn't go to South Africa. Um, Lots of New Zealand. Lots of New Zealand. What's happened since then? Windies. Windies and then Bangladesh. And is this all going to be like, don't worry about it. Dom Sibley Dom looks a little bit out here. Looks a little bit fishy off stump. We're gonna, if we nick him off, all good. We're going to talk about England-India in a second. And I think England's top um, three to five batsmen are basically mm. keeping Australian cricket alive. Feels like it. Because when you see that they're quite shit, apart from Root. Feels like it. We go... We should be okay because we'll chest them out and everything's fine. And, mate, my concern with it is that, as you know, my interest is only in making people laugh. But my interest is also in the Australian cricket team doing well. I'm a fan of the Australian cricket team. I want them to win games. I don't understand how, like, it was less than 12 months ago when Australia bowled India out for 36. We're like, this is the fucking one of the best teams we've ever had. And now it's like, we're not good at tests. We're, we're fourth in ODIs, fifth or sixth in T20s. Going on? Mm. Are we just supposed to cop that and just just win the Ashes? That's, that's not good enough with, hey, more, the, with this crop of players. Well, more than that, and and to that point, why does it feel as if there is no advocate for change? Why does it feel as though there's no proactivity mm. to arrest what is clearly um, a team on the slide? Yeah, and they by results are on the slide across all formats. Mm. This isn't a matter of conjecture. The results suggest it. Yes. 
the conjecture, if you want to offer it, are mitigating circumstances around COVID, player availability, sure. etc. These sure. are things that beset other teams as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, would any other similarly resourced team to to Australia, like India or England, accept these defeats so passively? Uh I'm not sure they would. It's just a hypothetical. In fact, we've seen those two teams defeat other teams with their second or third mm-hmm. place side. Mm-hmm. Is it is the miss of Warner and Smith in particular so um, so massive that we can ignore anything that happens after that? Isn't there a problem when you've got an early thirty year old in War uh, in Smith and a mid thirty year old in Warner carrying the side still still still. Mm. Uh, it raises a lot of questions and the response seems to be very passive and it's very curious mm. that there is just seeming silence. I mean, at the what? very at yeah. the very least, mm. if there are systemic issues in Australian cricket and there are around the production of batters, look at the contract list. Mm. You know, it, it, we, we watched the same game against Bangladesh mm. if you, in stills. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a couple of names. Five times in a row. Yeah. Apart from Dan Christian hitting Shakib Al Hassan for thirty off and over once. Yeah, get him on the plane, obviously. One hundred percent. And then he said, "You you might find harder conditions than this." And it was like that was a <laughs> great up, interview. Big Allah yeah, plane. Yeah. <laughs> <was> brilliant. <laughs> it's a cliche to say insanity is doing the same thing, expecting something different. Right? I mean, they they couldn't actually get themselves out of that problem. It was the same thing against the West Indies. What are the mechanisms for change? Yeah. It and can't why, just be Warner and Smith. Mate, why does it feel like I haven't read any anywhere and I haven't heard anyone else saying, except for maybe you and I, yeah. that like there's a problem. There is, there is a problem. Mm. You look at the performances of the team in the past 12 months. Obviously, COVID is a huge part of this. It's not just Australia who's going through it. Everyone's going through it. England literally missing their best player, maybe the best player in the world, Ben Stokes, indefinitely. They're still competitive. They're still winning games of white ball cricket against Pakistan when the whole team got COVID and they still won that series. Mm. Um, that was at home, though, to be fair. And the pitches were quite flat. Okay, so, yeah. 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 Um, He's actually good at both fourths, Dr. Baba. It's, it is inarguable that the players are deeply unhappy. Mm. That is so obvious. Mm. Who is performing well under the current stewardship? Uh, like, who, who has excelled? Marnus has come along in the last couple of years, no doubt about that. Mm. Who else... In the team, in the in the squad of probably twenty five players, is doing better than what they were doing beforehand. The team is losing games they should not be losing. The performances are a disgrace. Like that, losing four one to Bangladesh, four one to West Indies in the space of a month is embarrassing for this team. We're watching a team consistently underperform. They're in gradual decline. There doesn't seem to be any urgency around it. Um, is there an apparatus around there that disincentivizes challenge mm. to? people at the helm of that side i don't know just feel like we're supposed to cop it um it strikes me that after the india series the players tried their absolute best yeah to make clear yeah that they were unhappy with the environment 100 percent. the people who reported on it um were told that they were wrong it turns out they weren't wrong mm. about that the players are now understandably quiet Mm-hmm. Because they've got jobs on the line. Oh, it was a World Cup and an Ashes. I want to be exactly. Part of that. Yeah, no one's going to say anything. Of course, um, the slides happening in front of our eyes. They apparently had a review, cleared things up, had a fitness session. <laughs> now they've lost two series four one. Yeah, like two important series four one, in humiliating fashion. Um, you know, is it is it that 
change to the side or to the setup, the environment, the, the leadership setup would exacerbate an already unstable environment in COVID. I, when it comes to coaching, I mean, why aren't we even talking about, uh, you know, like maybe it's, it's not so much innovative um, answers, but like, could you have a separate white ball set up? Mm-hmm. A white ball program struggling massively. Mm-hmm. They were nowhere near it during the World Cup. They they jammed their way to the semis. Yeah, but they were off the pace. Oh yeah, and um, got absolutely and slaughtered yeah. the semi. Yeah, so they were not prepared properly for no. that compared no. to other teams. And now they're going into the World T Twenty World Cup, and they're at the bottom of the pile. I can I can hear people listening to this saying like, "Boys, get Smudger back. It's all good." Even so. I'm not even sure that's the case for for a starter, mm. but like, I'm not sure how it's now three years since Sandpaper, mm. 2018. That was Sandpaper, the year the year off we lost to India at home, and it was like, you know what, you take out two of your best players in the side, you're going to struggle. That that's true. Sure, that's true. That's three years ago, and it's still ah, get Smithy back, get Warner back. Warner's also he's 34, 35, he's 35 this summer, 35 yeah. this summer. He's been dropped from his IPL side. He struggled in the ashes. He's he's on a little bit of a way himself. I think he's still a great player. Don't get mm. me wrong, and he'll do well. But um, it's just still, uh, do we have enough guys who can come into the side who are going to be like, no, we'll, we'll get we'll get ourselves into a semi final here. I'm not sure that's the case because I'm looking mm. at like probably five five other teams who are going to play in the UAE who are better than Australia. Mm. Um, well, we're hoping on Glenn Maxwell doing great things. Glenn, Glenn Maxwell had a superb start to the IPL with mm. RCB. He can be a great T20 player, but to rely on him at the international level for Australia. Well, he hasn't really done it consistently for Australia, has he? So uh, not yet anyway. So, you know, I don't know if there's the answers out there. Pat Cummins, great bowler. Is he going to be great in Dubai? I'm not sure he's the answer either to, to win. I, I I just don't think Australia, maybe the Australian public are aware of the, like, okay, yeah, what I'm trying to say is what happens if Australia get knocked down in the group stage of the T20 World Cup? What happens then? No, no change. We just go to the, just beat up, we'll fucking smash Afghanistan in Hobart. Nick Sibley off of the Gabba. All good. It certainly feels like CA for a long time have been trying to position the success of the Australian men's setup as yeah. winning the Ashes. I mean, right. we even um, detected that from our chat with the CEO, Nick Hogley. That's what everything is working towards. Everything else now, and you can feel it through different channels in the media as well, um, is just advancing these kind of passive explanations of what's going on. You know, we've, we've said it jokingly, but... This was an R&D tour. Mm. Uh, the wickets were slow. Mm. I mean, we heard during the Windy series that um, we really admired how big and powerful they were Too as big. players. And then Ashton Agar, God love him, speaking independently, and, and I'm now tying it into everything else, <laughs> sure. was talking up um, how much of an advantage Pakistan, uh, Bangladesh lack of height is because mm. they can pull too the small. ball back. They can pull the pin out of the ball. <laughs> they can let it hang in the air. So West Indies are too big. Bangladesh is too small. <laughs> Do we only win against average-sized yeah. men Who's average? on, in fast wickets? Probably. <laughs> and if that's the case, why? Yeah. You know, to be fair to Matt Wade, who captained the last game, yeah. or he captained the series, yeah. he, he said there's no excuse for this. And that is what really should have come out. But uh, there's been a lot of other reasons advanced or put forward of the last little, um, this last little period, which I also think reflects on an environment that is struggling. You yeah. know, Of course you're going to advance reasons why... Uh, other teams are good and you're going to put respect on their name and stuff like that. But when taken as a whole, uh, th- th- you know, what it just feels like there isn't the urgency around the decline of the Australian men's cricket team that there should be. And the last time there was urgency around it mm. and things were said after the India tour, that was that was swept away. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And now the players aren't saying anything. No. Um, what is the mechanism for change? Mm. 
is anything happening? Mm. Um, or are we just going to, as we've said, just watch a slow car crash hey. and just hope that Smith scores runs or some shit? It fucking it feels like it feels like that, doesn't it? It feels like we are watching a car crash, slow mm. car crash, and just being like, ah, well, who could have seen that happening? Mm. Seeing it right Thank now. Thank God for Sibley. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he's actually Australia's best player at the moment. He, he's our best player. And he scored runs as well. He got 20. I mean, yeah, Job done. Why does it also feel he goes like even saying this stuff is um, like nerve wracking? You know, I yeah. mean, you, you look at it on face value, they are just losing. Just a look lot. at the performances. You're just, you're just saying this team is losing. Yeah. Why? I mean, it's a very natural subsequent question to ask when teams are losing. With a team as well resourced with as much history, um, pedigree, and talent as Australia. Are these players underperforming? Is there better cricket in these players? I think the answer is Mate, yes. There has to be. Mate, I completely the same. I'm just, I'm just trying to be very deliberate with my mm. words and stuff mm. because, I mean, obviously there's an audience and people listen to this and the mm. people who listen mm. to it are so people in high places and stuff. Mm. I understand that. Mm. But, like, literally just look at the results and who is performing well and who is not performing well. There is no one performing well. Mm. <laughs> like, Mitch Marsh did well. Hey, Mitch Marsh is doing good. The, the bowlers did well. You know, there, and if we're going to, yeah, sure. well enough, you know, if we're, if we're going to really narrow it down, there is a, and Mark Taylor pointed this the other day without any kind of analysis behind it, but there is a batting malaise in Australia. There actually is a real problem with bringing batters through. Yeah. Uh, it, and it's getting, we're, we're ever reliant upon two or three guys. Mm. Uh, it's not a sustainable approach mm-hmm. for success down the track. You know, th- there is a, there is a problem. You know, there's, there's a multitude of problems and I don't think it's controversial to say so when you can see the results in front of you themselves. And to say that there's no problem, that's like gaslighting. Yeah. <laughs> so I can see it. Stop telling me it's not happening. Yeah, I can yeah, see yeah. it right here. Yeah. And the players have said so. They're, they're that's what I mean. It, it, it's all out there. Mm. And, it, and it's all just like, ah, that wasn't on TV, but. Almost an open secret. Yeah. Almost an open secret that yeah. all is not well. Mm. You know? Yeah. Anyway. All right. Yeah, Sibley. Um, but yeah, the bowls. Now it's talking about like some smug satisfaction. How good would it be to be those bowlers just coming into the sheds? Oh, brilliant! Just fucking two for ten two off for my forearms, yeah. mate. Mitch uh, Ripson, three up. for thirteen. Just could someone get those fucking runs, please? <laughs> How much of that would there have been? Please putting the pads on. Fuck's yeah. sake, boys. yeah, exactly. Fuck's sake, come on. Any danger? At what point do you think you know uh, Hazelwood walks into the change room at yeah. the end of the innings and just starts padding up? <laughs> <laughs> Start getting the pads on. I'll float. I'll float a skip. Isn't that the saddest? Gallows humour like that. Gallows. Hazelwood's got the pads on. Mate, uh, Nathan Ellis took a hat-trick in his first game. Did he play the next game? No, he did not. Uh, It was R&D, mate. (laughs) What did we find out? You can take a hat-trick. Good. Put your feet up. (laughs) Have a spell. Have a spell after your four overs. Hey, I think it's worth saying. It's worth. It's worth saying. It's worth. It, 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 I think they're valid. Mate, we're it's watching it. We're watching it. This is, it. is not a controversial thing. Mm. It, we're, we're, well, we're not watching it. it. Well, we're not. No, we're not. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the other thing as well. Taken as a whole, I, I, I saw. I observed a lot of people from different networks, both you know Fox and people from Channel Nine as well, kind of bickering about. Well, if you didn't, you know, if you didn't pick up the series, why don't you pick up the series? As though right. each of them have the phone of uh, the executives who <laughs> yeah. who make these deals. But it, right. it just went to show that there wasn't the interest there from a business perspective to pick hey, it up. I, and I, Cricket I, Australia can't be happy with that as well. Yeah, but that's also part of the benefit of the Australian team losing is that like it's literally on during the Olympics, during August, the winter here in Australia, footies on, Olympics on, gold, gold, gold in the pool. Titmus has won again. You beauty. Um. Don't really care about the cricket, if I'm honest. But like, I'm watching it, and I want my team to win. I want my team to fucking compete. Mm. And it's the same game I've watched ten times in a row. It, it does feel like, though, it's a 
you know, these things are purely business decisions and, and all networks who could have bid for the rights decided it wasn't worth it. Wasn't worth it. it. Wasn't um, worth it. Yeah. It still feels similarly like it should be in Australia's non-existent Bill of Rights <laughs> that we can watch the men's team play when they've got to play. Yeah. So, past that. So, it's up to us to buy some rights. It's buy some rights. <laughs> Thought about making a call. We did think about should it. Should have on YouTube. <laughs> yeah. What is this costing? This is obviously worth zero at the moment. <laughs> if you are from a Bangladesh TV network, get, mm, in, please, touch. get in touch. Hit the DMs. Um, all right, Pez, you want to speak about England and India? Sure. All right. So, uh, now, for those... Uh, who would have listened to us via Patreon, patreon.com forward slash great cricket. We're doing the dailies. That's on YouTube, but the audio is exclusively on Patreon. If you want to sign up for that and get it that way, there's four tests to go. This is going to be a great series because that, that test match, uh, though it was rained out on day five, was a belter. Good gear. It was good gear. It was good gear. So England rolled, England won the toss, have a stick, gave it their best. 183 all out, India 278, England 303. Mm. and India needed 207, I want to say, Something to like win. That. And they were 52 for one at the end of day four before rain. Uh, it just pissed it down all day on day five, so they didn't get on. But um, that was that was a great game of cricket, and it was good to see Test Match cricket back on TV. It was good to see cricket on TV. And these are uh, England at home. England at home, good gear. India, mm. fucking great to watch Boomer Bowl. Yep. Boomer Coley, Boomer versus Root, Anderson versus Coley. There were mm. great matchups there. Mm. Um, a Rouge Duke's ball oh, swinging yes. around, nipping around. Oh, Trent Bridge. Subplots are plenty. Is Ollie Robinson usurping Stuart Broad? Then Stuart yeah. Broad put his headband on in the second innings. Unfortunately, <laughs> couldn't get on, but he was bringing vibes. He was bringing vibes. Yeah. You know, uh, Mo Siraj, and I'm not sure if I'm allowed to call him Mo Siraj, yeah, but I will. Mo Siraj blowing, up. blowing got, up. He's got a bit about him. There's he's, a bit going on with Mo he's Siraj. He's a real a villainous character. But the same with, with but the same with Ollie Robinson. So a couple of coats, a couple of young bucks who are coats who will then get better, but they're blowing up a little bit. Coley telling Mo Siraj to calm down. This is what can happen in Test cricket. It's such good gear. And, and the ebb and flow of English cricket as well. Such Low scoring. Gear. Some team gets ahead, but then there's a cluster of wickets. Yeah. Very good gear. Um, do you want to talk about Joe Root? Yeah, I do. So um, now I'm sorry if you've already listened to this, this, um, these uh, views in the past. You know, this re- just recently, I can't talk anymore. Mm. Um, and jo- the view, the band. <laughs> you shouldn't be sorry because it's a good band. Good band. Mm, uh, TV show. Joe Root for me might be in career best form. I don't think he's ever been in better form as a captain of England. I think he's going back to his days when he was holding the GM, fresh face, looking like Ellen, Ellen DeGeneres, coming into that team, scoring big runs, averaging over fifty. Ellen DeGeneres runs. Ellen DeGeneres runs. Mm. <laughs> so harsh. <laughs> Mate, he is looking good. He had a great winter. Yeah. Uh, scoring runs in Sri Lanka. Got double tons in Sri Lanka, double ton in India. I think he scored another 100 in India after that as well in that series mm. when, when England struggled. And he's coming. He's got 64 against a swinging ball at Trent Bridge there mm. and 109 in the third innings. Mm. Pretty much single-handedly keeping England competitive with the bat because yep. they've got heaps of guys who can't stick at test cricket. Mm. We were saying that... Uh, there were definitely sort of any danger runs, as in he gets out and then it can just go into the change room and say any danger mate, boys. Talk of smug. Talk of uh, smugness. A lot of people rated the 109 as one of his best tests. Yeah. Uh, tons of yeah. the 21 he's now scored. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was it – was, I don't know what else to say other than it was big boy stuff, dominating yeah. that cover point, um, yeah. cover region. Mm. He just feels like he feels like his technique is very sound to you know when it comes to tough conditions and defending. And if you overpitch, he'll put you away, you mm. know. And then later on in his things, he can he can pull you, mm. whip you off his legs. Uh, he's he's Mate, doing really well. He uh, he also spoke really well when Ben Stokes um, pulled mm. out of cricket indefinitely, not just this series. He's pulled out of cricket indefinitely. Um, and I think the quote was, um, I hope my friend is okay. Yes, yeah, I just want my friend to be okay. I just want my friend to be okay. I think he is such a great captain in yeah. that sense. I think, like, tactically, you know, he might have, um, you know, I'm sure people more qualified than I 
um, like Ian Chappell, for et cetera, don't rate him as a captain. But, I mean, in terms of a leader, keeping this squad together during the uh, extremely difficult 12 months for England cricket in terms of their schedule, the, uh, the all the touring they've had to mm. do, people coming in and out of squads, tough to go to India during that period as well. Um, I think he is doing such a great job and he is scoring big runs, big mm. boy runs. He is, without a doubt, in the top three best bats in the world at the moment. And I think, Sam, that Virat Kohli is actually fourth because Virat hasn't scored 100 in a minute. <laughs> um, Virat hasn't scored in a way 100 since 2018. And, and yet India were ahead in this match and I feel like would have done the business India on, would have won the, the game on the fifth day. Yes. Uh, uh, yeah, balance is such a cliche now in cricket. Gary but like balance. Ac- across, across the park, they had players that were putting India's noses in front. Even, yeah. you know, Kale Rahul steps in as the 55th or 56th in line opener. That's right. Uh, for India, top scores in the first innings. Um, and then Boomer does the business, uh, you know, really yeah. well complimented by Shami. Um, yeah. As well. So, yeah, and then I think, yeah, I just think on day five, India, India would have got it done. But um, so so Joe Root and Co are loving that bus trip down to Lords series even. Uh, like, they're going to have to play out of their skins, England, I think, to come over the top of India. We still, there were, you know, we, we didn't get to see Rishabh Pant, but mm. twice or anything like that. They've just, they've got so much more in the locker, India, and they look, mm. they look ready. They had their little two week training camp heading in, like yeah, England, yeah. England walking in like Browns cows from the hundred, and yeah. God knows what guys haven't played, you know, mm. since February and mm. January. I mean, one team's really ready for it. I mean, the Indian cricket, Indian Test team, men's Test team, mm. they they seem primed and ready for the summit for a long time, yep. and this is part of destiny for them. They didn't get it done in this game because of rain, yeah, but. Uh, they just feel ready to hey, me. There'll be some hunger because you know? in 2018, they lost that series 4-1 and yeah. it was a great series, five great mm. test matches. They were in the game, I think, in all five, lost four of them. Mm. But um, this felt like this test match chasing 200 mm. was a real like, we'll show you how far we've yeah. come. Obviously, one in Australia, they're ready. They're, and, they're, and don't they're forget, you know when a team's ready when you start getting solitary camera angles on the coach or, or a big yeah. person aside. And yeah. that Ravi Shastri is actually – I wonder if he has the entire balcony to himself because there are a number of shots there with mm. him in his wide brim, floppy hat, sunnies on. He's hiding his little necklace there, but he brings mm. it out if he wants. His chest is looking bigger, and mm. I mean that in a great way. His arms are looking bigger. Mm-hmm. His entire – his resting face is ro- bang on the money for those yeah, shots. Yeah, yeah. And you see it and you think, Dad, it's a, it's a real dad figure. Real dad figure. They're – they're just looking like the complete unit, India. They have Jadeja batting seven. Ashwin did not play. Shub McGill not available. Yeah. Agarwal uh, pulled out. Of the, pulled out. He got hit in the head in the nets. Mm. Um, they're he still missing out, a dude. couple of guys. <laughs> still missing a couple of guys. Still getting it done. They are good. They mm. look good. Moving to Lords. Um, is there anything else to talk about India? I mean, uh, Kyle Rahul came in real late and he scored 84, probably mm. the best innings of the game, mm. maybe. Joe Root battle well, but Joe Root's probably the best, but but, but for India's, it, it was. I mean, that 84 was, was worth 100 in those yeah. circumstances. Uh, I And yet he goes, there, there are still murmurs that India's 3 4 5, you know, the, yeah. the, that amazing axis of mm. Pajara, Kohli, and Rahane yeah. haven't quite done the business for a little while, mm. you know? And this is Indian cricket. Like, they don't tolerate no. guys not scoring fucking triple digits for a couple of games. So, to put this into perspective, Coley averages 50-whatever, Pajara 45, mm. Rahane 40. That's your 3-4-5. Mm. I don't think that's – I don't know if anyone else in world cricket at mm. the moment has mm. has those numbers. Mm. But that's India's biggest problem at the that's moment. That's India's biggest problem. Yeah. 
I mean, if England are going to get it done, it's going to be off the back of individual performance. I mean, you'd, mm. if England are able to stay with India now that they've lost Archer and Stokes, you'd have to hand it to them. Talk about losing two massive players. Like, those two players pretty much connect the whole side. Mm. Uh, so, um, kudos to England if they can even go with India here, I reckon. Wokes, when Wokes comes back into the squad, he'll be a big inclusion. Because, mm. I mean, Curran was your rounder. Mo and Ali's not even in the squad. Curran mm. was the old rounder. Didn't bowl that well. He batted okay. Got a couple of 30s and 30s and 20s, I think. Um, but he's a big player in England for them. He mm. averaged like three with the ball in England. Mm. Something like that. Crawley might miss next game. Oh, we, th- there might be news on that. I mean, he's averaging 11 now. Okay. Uh, you know, since he's 267, so we're not including yeah. the 267 in that. But Yeah, yeah. it's interesting because Dom Silly scored 20 off about 155 million mm. balls. So he'll stay. Uh, so he's going to stay. Mm. He's going to stay. That was a career-saving innings. Um, the Ashes, Pez. Uh, yeah. The biggest news for the Ashes is that Joffre Archer is now out with his fractured elbow. Second time. Sucks. Um, second time that's happened to him. He is out of the T20 World Cup. He's out of the Ashes. And i got to say... A lot of people in Australia might not have seen Joffrey Bowl before. He obviously played for the Hurricanes, the Hobart Hurricanes and the Big Bash, before he sort of exploded onto the international scene, test, test match-wise. Um, it is such a shame mm. that he is not going because he is one of the most exciting bowlers that would have come out here since, fuck, Stain. Like, could you imagine, Morally, like, maybe. In- England's shout for the Ashes. And, yeah. like, I'm not... I'm not convinced that they aren't still a shout, given the state of Australian men's cricket. I agree. Uh, five which, which, which again is yeah, five, five <laughs> or six for us. Um, can you imagine like Smith and Marnus just waking up to the oh. news of like oh. Joffre's out of the ashes? Like, oh, I'm absolutely devastated yeah. about that. Yeah, that's mate. That's really done me. I'm 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 gone for the day there. <laughs> yeah, wow, it's really going to impact the series. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he really like that. That would have been such a Mouth-watering uh. matchup, um, yeah, matchup, and you know that like Jofra, Jofra is such a great player, and part of the reason he's a great player is because he gets up for the big moments. You know, mm-hmm. they overbowled him after he dominated the Ashes in the World Cup, right? Because he was too good. But you know, you know that the side of Steve Smith and those guys, and the opportunity on fast wickets to show what he is about, mm-hmm. would have got him up for that. So they were also so Ollie Stone's got stressies, so he's out. Badge of honor. Um, now they're relying; they'll be relying on Broad and Anderson. Wood, Wood and Ollie Robinson. Ollie Robinson looks good. He looks good to me. I think he'll do okay in Australia. There's a lot of people online saying, a lot of people online, Michael Vaughan included, saying that uh, he's got a bit of Hazelwood about him. I can see it. He's not quite there yet. Obviously, he's played yeah. two test matches. Call your Jets. Call cool, our Jets. But I think he's a good bowler. But without Ollie Stone and Archer, and now you're relying on Broad, Anderson, Wood. Yeah. It's, and mate, it's without just, a, you know, they're not playing, like I said before, no but they're not, they're not playing a spinner at the moment in Jack Leach. And if if you, you have to play a spinner in Australia, oh, you're going to go four quicks. I mean, that could get very samey very quickly. See you later. If you knock Leach out of the attack and you've got Broad and Anderson getting miles under their legs, they're cooked by the second, yeah. third. T- they wouldn't play every test anyway. Mm. Mark Wood isn't, uh, you know, isn't that reliable in terms of his fitness. They yeah, haven't played that he's often. He's never played a full series. And so you've you got Ollie Robinson, who's playing grade cricket a few years ago, carrying the load. Maybe you'll be able to do it. Not easy. You're going to have bushfires. You're going to have smoke. Oh, <laughs> fucking hell, yeah. The climate change report yeah, from the IMPCC report. today, yeah. Code red for humanity. Sounds good. I don't know. going to be it's pretty a, hot. It's it's going to be tough on the England bowlers without Joffre. And, you know, let's hope Ben Stokes is filling up for coming. Yeah. Or, he, or he, he feels good. He feels good. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. So that's it. But does the Ashes feel like all this chat he goes about the Ashes yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, whether it will go on or not, there's a lot of public lobbying going on around uh, England being able to bring families right. as it 
you know, as it relates to Australia's government position, Australia's federal government position about yep. that. Yeah. When we spoke about this last week, we sort of came to the conclusion that, like, much like Ali Martin did on Sky Sports, by the way, we trained him up for that piece. But, um, <laughs> Uh, we, spot welcome, the, we spot the talent first. Yeah, yeah. we spot the talent first. Feed a club, this guy. Yeah, but anyway, yeah. um, do we get ten percent of him? Finders fee. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, he's been around the traps all the time. But uh, <laughs> you know that the Ashes is too big to fail. They will find a way to bring people out. Something mm. I think changed in the discourse in Australia over the week. Probably, namely Melbourne going into lockdown from a position of like, or Victoria going into lockdown from a position of zero cases. Mm. Just kind of made everything feel like, God, there are absolutely no guarantees Mate, 100%. on anything over the next few months. Yep. There's lots of lots of vaccine hesitancy here in Australia. Yep. People are starting to really get the shits and yep. feel really caged up. Yep. Uh, you know, we're hearing that like there's going to be some pretty severe biosecurity protocols yeah. for like shield guys and Mate. stuff like that. Yep. Like, you know, and the England players who are just you know, you can see their stru- you know, whether Stokes is endemic of a lot of other guys or what it's hard, we don't know. Like it is all starting to just feel a little bit like, nah, this issue's not going away. It's they're, not going serious away. about yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. And don't you think in the back channels of Australian cricket and federal government, yeah. they would have just put this to bed at some point. Like they would have said, Listen, you don't need to come out and lobby us anymore. We'll sort it out. You'll yeah. get the exemption. Yeah. It's not happening. So Yeah, it's interesting. It's all feeling green. Because I think I think this is related to a cultural thing here where I think it was la- within the last seven days anyway, um, the government has said that if any visiting Australians do come back, they're not going to be allowed to leave. And there's also issues with residents in Australia anyway being allowed to come back in. So the idea that um a English touring cricket party can bring their families when there are literally citizens of Australia who cannot come back. And if they do, if they are able to come back, they can't leave. And the only way you can get into the country at the moment if you have a fucking investor visa is one of the three reasons you can come back. There's a, there's a little bit of um, public concern I'd imagine being like, well, how come Joss Butler gets to bring yep. his missus down, you know? Um, now she's doing yoga, obviously, while Joss is doing uh, you know yoga in his full kit, mm. uh, if you recall from last summer. I do recall. Um, so I think there's a bit of that. And also, yeah, when Melbourne have gone from in the space of 24 hours, zero cases, mm. um, into a lockdown mm. within the space of 24 hours, it's like, well, this will continue to be the case until vaccination is the only way to get us out. And whilst there's hesitancy with the vaccine in Australia, this could be, um, this could be going on until after the WACA, which is in mid January. Yeah. Um, Sydney have 360 cases today. Um, which won't seem like a lot to those people in England that listen to the moment, but that's a lot for here, given the um, given the a- vaccine appetite. rates at about twenty percent. Yeah, that's right, and also the appetite for cases here generally, mm. where we've sort of tried to go to eradicate eradicate the virus, and that's now not going to be possible given the Delta variant. So, when is Sydney going to get a lockdown? I was talking to my mate this morning. When's club cricket going to start in Australia? Like, there's there's going to be community mm. sport is is cancelled all across the eastern seaboard at the moment. I think it was up until early uh, end of last week where sixty percent of the country was in hard lockdown. Uh, which was the entire recent seaboard. So there are huge hurdles coming up, and it does feel a little bit like this story ain't going away, although it is a bit funny that it has exacerbated, I think, with Joffre not being available for the Ashes, and now it's like, well, now there's no point because now we cannot win. Well, <laughs> so things are just you know falling I mean? away. Like I, I think a lot of people had as a as a mental horizon the mm. end of the year when it came yeah, to yeah, yeah. COVID. We did this last year as well. It must be a human thing, but mm. or even a political thing as well. You know, we'll have you sorted by Christmas to do the things you've got to do. It's the end of the year. We'll have it sorted out, but there's no guarantees that will be the case. It's been suggested that, uh, you know, 
by Michael Vaughan earlier that in the same way that they did with the Olympics or that they did with the Euros, that they postpone the Ashes. Why not? You know, why not just do it when it's right to do? And then there's been this kind of counter mm. comment that's uh, – well, you've seen Greg Chappell say stuff like, we toured England for six months without our families, without being well paid, because we love the game. Okay. <laughs> we talked to you, Greg, last year, and you had a few regrets about not being able to see your family as well. But anyway, um, but like, yeah. maybe Ali's right and it is, it is too big to fail. The, the question becomes like, if there are senior players who are multi-format players in England who opt not to come because they can't bring their families, do England just send the next best? You know, are there single men ready to go to war, not knowing what they're in for? Right. Do England send a, send a second string? Do we accept that? I mean, uh, the answer isn't do we accept it. It will be will the TV rights holders accept it, yeah. you know, because I think yeah. they'd probably prefer to make good on – I don't speak for them, by the way, but, like, they'd mm. prefer to make good on the deal within this rights window than hand two – um, two Ashes series to whoever's in the next cycle of rights. So, yeah, that was reported by Peter Lawler made that point this right, morning. Right. So, um, mate, so it, it, mate, yeah. I got to say, I I couldn't have more sympathy for players. I, I couldn't have more sympathy for players in the sense that the stresses of modern day sport, big sport. We we're talking about this the other day, weren't we? Because Barney Ronay wrote a piece about big sport, twenty four yeah. hour big sport, and you just look at like. <laughs> Somehow tied into like Messi going to PSG and it's yeah. like the, the fucking oil money, like the but like but the money controlling sport just means that those sports are on more and more and more and more and more. Mm. Like football, there is no off season, mm. endless sport, endless competition. Football, 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 cricket's exactly football. the same thing. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> you look at the you look at the calendar now, the the packed calendar now with cricket until basically February, um, with what international teams are doing, touring, World Cups, Ashes, this sort of gear, IPL all this, and the cricket will be on. They will play, and they will play, and they will play. And the players are, are forced into hotel quarantine, living in a hotel room for two weeks, simply because you must fulfill your contractual obligations mm. because we must get the TV money for it. It must go ahead. Mm. More sport. Must win. Do we need it? It's it, Mate, I think one thing that's really brought that into focus in these last few weeks is contrasting that approach that big sport industry with the Olympics, which yeah, in yeah, itself yeah. is very big and beset with its own issues. But when you can turn on the TV and see a lot of people compete in a sport for a country, they're not household names. Mm. It's a much purer amateur aesthetic. Yeah. Uh, their conversations after after their events are invariably humble. You know uh, th What they're doing is quite noble. They're usually quite skint. They seem a lot more relatable and connected, mm. uh, and then, then in the same breath, you you you, you turn on ESPN.com and see Messi crying because he has to make a million dollars a week. PSG, he's al he's allowed to. Don't uh, make me go. He's allowed. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and and this is kind of connected to that as well. You know, they mm. just it's just the the allure of the ashes and everything it could have been. Probably yeah. not much Barmy Army. No. Maybe no one at the games. Yeah. Uh, ben Stokes, uh, maybe, to go. And if it's not Ben Stokes, is it somebody else? Someone you else. know, Someone else by that time will be like, yeah, I'm sick of hotels and I miss my family. Joffrey Archer can't come. What about Australia? What about the Australians? We don't hear anything from them. Do they even want to stick their neck up and say that I might be struggling as well? Would that, would we accept that? It all is just becoming a real shadow, a dis, sort of a dystopian alternative mate, of what it could have been. Mate, exactly. And I'm, we're not doing live shows. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. <laughs> And we saw, um, you know, we, 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 I sort of feel it as well be, being stuck at home ourselves as viewers, mm. uh, fans of the sport, you know. It's that, you know, so many people want sport to continue because it gives them a relief. Release. Uh, yeah. And relief. 
from from being locked down and people locked down all over the world at the moment as well, um, whether you're sick or not. But, you know, sport being on provides such a great relief and release from, from all that stress and tension, you know, and I want that to be on. But at the same time, they're literally humans who are having to sit in a hotel for two weeks, being away from their families with all the pressures of modern day sport, mm. being online and that kind of shit. Mm. Cunts who fucking lost, lost in their multi want to fucking DM their wives and shit like that. Like fucked up shit. Mm. Um, you know, dealing with all that and like them struggling and being like, nah, you get you get paid heaps, but got nothing well, to do with it, you know? Won't you just be intoxicated though with, you know, Steve Smith with his helmet on, just raising, I hope we fucking raising smash the him. back of that new balance bat, <laughs> English yeah. players sweating, yeah. struggling in the smoke hazed yeah. stadiums of Australia that are only fifteen percent full, depending <laughs> on which coast you're on. You know, but it's still one nil to Australia and nothing else matters. There's a fire outside my house. <laughs> Hey, it's hot today. Mm. It's 40 degrees in August. Um, okay, Pez. Uh, <laughs> I've got a note here on the 100. Are people still enjoying it in the UK? <laughs> Crowd numbers are very good. We were just making this point. Like We've been talking up the 100 going, it's probably going to be good. But um, it also we also sort of note, once the test matches start, like as an overseas yeah. consumer, yeah. if you will, and that's what I am, you don't get the experience of the 100 the way you're meant to experience. Like The idea is you watch the test and then you roll in like Blobby with three or four beers minimum under your belt to minimum. then watch the red team versus the blue team Fuck with yeah. your graphs and shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if people are still doing that in the UK. Let us know. Um, okay, Pez. Now, we spoke to uh, – I haven't decided how we're going to do this. Andre Adams is on the show. Good chat. I enjoyed it. I think we'll go done that. for dose We're first. going to go for dose first. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to give some background to this. Now, I was, supposed to be, I was supposed to talk about it last week. Didn't get time to. That was my bad because it's an important thing that's going on in South African cricket, and it's – Frightening. And people have written into us about this as well. They have, they chat. have, they have. And so we spoke to um, the expert who's covering this, Ferdos Mundas, South African journalist for ESPN Crick Info, um, has been going to this hearing, which has been going on for the last couple of weeks. They've taken a break. It, it will resume in August, on August 23. I think it's a two-week break. So what's going on is that there's an investigation, there's a, 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 a hearing going on called the Social Justice and Nation Building Project. Now, a number of like very well-known South African players have been named in this, which includes Mark Boucher, who's the current South African coach, A.B. de Villiers, you know who he is, uh, a number of other um, high-profile players who have been mixed up in um, allegations of racism, I suppose, racist behaviour, not selecting um, black players for South Africa, preferring white players, this sort of gear. Some of the stories that have come out in the last couple of days are um, horrendous. Um, to, give a, to give a taste of it, um, Paul Adams said, uh, if you remember Paul Adams' left arm wrist spinner from the 90s and early 2000s, uh, he said he was nicknamed Brown Shit uh, by the team. They sung that in the, sh- in the song uh, and in Fines Meetings, uh, this is a quote from that, from that piece saying, Brown Shit in the ring, tra-la-la-la-la, that kind of gear. Uh, there's another story which was corroborated by Roger Telemarkus about a current coach who's still on the circuit today, pa- painting a black player's face with white paint as punishment for having dirty boots. Um, this is an extremely recent phenomenon that's, that is still obviously um, marks the game in South Africa. Uh, and Mark Boucher, I said, who's, um, who is the current coach, he has been, uh, his name has been brought up multiple times in regards to accusations of racist dis- discrimination by former players. There was a suggestion that he was going to bring legal action for that. He has not done that. Uh, there's also a story about A.B. de Villiers um, selecting, uh, who was it, Dean Elgar ahead of 
can't think of it. Fidos is going to be a better person to speak to about this. And so why don't we get Fidos on the line right now? All right, Fidos Munda is South Africa's correspondent for Crick Info. Uh, did you know there are 4,423 entries under her name uh, on Crick Info alone? So there's a fair bit of content there. Um, Fidos, thanks so much for uh, joining us from South Africa. Your first piece on this issue, which uh, he goes, has just given a little intro to above, was written on July 5. Uh, and since then, you've covered it comprehensively for Crick Info. Uh, and I recommend anyone listening to find these pieces and to read them themselves. But to start, for those listening who aren't aware of what Cricket South Africa's social justice and nation building hearings are, can you briefly explain what it was and what brought them on? Yeah, first of all, thanks so much for having me. I had no idea that I had written so many stories, so I'm going to request a bonus <laughs> one of these days. Um, but, uh, yeah, look, the social justice hearings came up really as a result of a question that was asked to Lungi and Gidi at a press conference about a year ago this time, when England and West Indies became the first two international cricket sides to take a knee. At the time, South Africa, we were still under lockdown, and we were planning this three-team competition as a kind of novelty showpiece event to raise money for charity because there was no cricket going on. And so Lungi and Gidi was put up at a press conference and just asked, you know, what do you think the team will do? Have you been discussing this? This is obviously an issue in international sport in terms of anti-racism. And Lungi Ngidi, as you know, is a black African. And he said, we haven't discussed it yet, but I hope we will. And I hope that we will join the rest of the world in making a stand against injustice. And this thing just blew up. We had several former white cricketers who then attacked Lungi Ngidi's response and said that they thought that unless he was willing to stand up for farm murders, which are a very small percentage of total murders in South Africa and disproportionately affect the white population. They, they, unless Lungi was willing to say something about farm murders, then they would not stand for him saying something about racism. And of course, the broader context to all of this is that South Africa is probably the last bastion of legalized white supremacy. You know, we only had democracy in 1994. The hangover from apartheid, colonialism, slavery is very real in our country. You know, we have very obvious racial discrimination here still. And uh, this issue really blew up. We had about 30 former players of color who then signed a letter in support of Lungi. And then several of them told their own stories of discrimination and Cricket South Africa were forced to do something. And so they said they would have these hearings, almost like a TRC that we had towards the end of the apartheid era, where victims could come and tell their stories. Perpetrators, I use that word loosely, could come and offer explanation. And then presumably there'd be some form of healing and reconciliation, but we are very far from that. So what are the, what's the... What's the overall goal? Is it is it reconciliation? Is is that the goal of this? I mean, there there are so many accusations being made, which which um, you know, bringing forward some very big names in the game in South Africa, at least of all Mark Boucher and Ab De Villiers even, uh, and even Dean Elgar as well in in some sort of um you know secondary capacity perhaps. But is there an obvious goal for these hearings? I think there are a few goals. I think the first one is to give people a platform to have their voices heard. Mm. And someone like Paul Adams has come out and said, I never had this opportunity before. I never really thought about what was happening to me and I've never spoken about this. So storytelling, we know it's really part of like a decolonial methodology of healing and that is being used at the moment. Then there was talk of reparations, but as Ashwell Prince has said, you know, it's really difficult to quantify 
amounts of money that black players would have lost from not playing and not earning match fees. And then other things, not getting sponsors, not getting an IPL deal. You know, all, you, we can't put a number yeah. on that. Anyway, yeah. Cricket South Africa doesn't have money. So I don't think there's going to be any reparations. I think the ultimate goal is to have a discussion, to have reconciliation, and then also to put policies in place to make sure this doesn't happen again. Because we're still living with this hangover. We still see discrimination. We still see small numbers of black players coming through. So how do you prevent this othering from happening again? And that is really the task of the ombudsman, who is an advocate, Dumisen Sabedza, who was part of the TRC, who knows how this reconciliation thing works. He's not a cricket expert, which I think is fine, because he knows about like human dynamics. Mm. Uh, Fados, can you um, bring us up to speed with where we're up to in the hearings? I know they've commenced. I'm not sure if they, I think they were meant to have finished, but they might still be going. And what have the hearings found? Or what, what, what have we heard? Uh, and what has been the reaction in both the public and then, you know, inside cricket, I suppose? Yeah, so where we are now is that the hearings are on a, a break until August the 23rd. And by August the 18th, anybody who has been adversely implicated has been invited to submit a response. So it'll be a, probably a written affidavit, and then they can decide if they want to also appear before the ombudsman. And on August 23rd, the hearings resume. The ombudsman is supposed to deliver a report by the end of September. Personally, I can't see that happening. I think there's still too much that needs to be done and too many allegations that need to be confronted. So what we've heard for now is testimony from former players, former coaches, current players, current coaches, people in clubs, you know, the, the bits that I've covered because I'm obviously working for an international platform, we've got to be quite discerning. And, you know, I haven't written about the, the clubs who've been talking about facilities, for example, and I'm planning to do something on that later. But there's a range of things that have come out. One is lack of facilities. And to be fair, you know, a lot of that speaks to government and resources and who's putting money where. And I don't really think Cricket South Africa can address that. But then there's the structural biases which exist within the system that need to be addressed. So everyone from an Omar Henry, who was the first player of color to represent South Africa, saying, I didn't feel comfortable. I wanted to go home. I wasn't told why I wasn't given a game. To an Aaron Pangiso, who's still in the system, Paul Adams, who's coaching in the system, Ashel Prince coaching in the system, they've all told stories of being made to feel unwelcome. And I think what needs to happen is that the team culture, specifically the men's team culture, although we did have testimony from one woman, but the men's team culture needs to be addressed. And I think now what's happening is we're looking back specifically at that team that won the Test Mace in 2012, which was a champion team, which had some amazing players. And we're starting to ask, but actually you know, were they such a great team? Were they such nice people? And in some ways, I don't think we can be surprised. You know, everybody who grew up probably in my generation in the late 80s and early 90s, all of our parents would have been discriminated against or been the discriminators during the apartheid era. And those, you know, that culture, I grew up, for example, as a South African of Indian heritage, I'm third generation. I grew up wishing that South Africa would lose because we didn't identify with an all white team. We identified with West Indies and India and then later on Pakistan. And it was we were rooting for the opposition the, the same way we get large numbers of South Africans who cheer on the all blacks, for example, against the Springboks. So. This is a culture that we need to address by looking back at our past, which we, which we don't talk about because 
1994 happened, we thought we, we had reconciled, we were a rainbow nation, everything was going to be great. And I don't think we addressed all of this. I mean, the other big issue is we probably came back into international sport too early. Yeah. You know, the, the, the early 90s, we, we didn't even have an election before we were playing international mm. cricket. So before Omar Henry could vote in South Africa, he could go and represent the country, which is unbelievable, really. Mm. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done. I think deep work, asking ourselves what our parents told us, what their parents told them and why we still live in these ways, you know, uh, just to speak openly, we still talk about the white areas, the black areas, although someone like me can now live anywhere I want. I know that I live in an area where I, first of all, would not have been able to live in 30 years ago. And secondly, is still considered very posh and middle-class and sort of by extension white. Mm. And I think these are big issues that need to be addressed. It's brought up a huge amount of trauma, not just for cricket, it's, it showed us a mirror of our society. And I think that's been amazing in that it said to us, every sport should be having this. The corporate sector should be having this. We all need to go back and, and look at what's happened. Mm. The accusations for those sort of range from, um, you know, A.B. de Villiers um, saying that he, um, allegedly anyway, that he didn't want Kigesa Rabada in the side, all the way to um, a, a coach painting a black player's face white. I mean, some of these, some of the accusations are insane. Um, is is this new information that we're learning? Is this is it shocking the public, or is it a bit like, oh no, I've heard this before, I've seen this before, or I, I recognise these discrimination, you know, discriminatory acts? A bit of both, I think. I think a lot of people, a lot of people of colour who entered the white world between the early nineties and the mid two thousands would have experienced something similar, whether mm. it was like jokes making fun of your accent or your culture or your food or whatever. So, but we never spoke about it. So I think that the, the unspoken is now being said. Some of it is pretty shocking, I guess. You know, think about, I, I found Aaron Pangiso's story about standing on the field for three days where he only bowled five overs, picked as a bowler and starting to cry on the field because mm. he just felt so unwelcome. That, I found that quite affecting. Uh, I think people are really grappling with how was this allowed to happen and why were, were certain people made to feel so unwelcome? And what was it about them that made them so unwanted in certain environments? So there's definitely, uh, there's an uproar, I suppose, from uh, people with consciousness, I suppose, people of mm. color, uh, anybody who, who sees the unfairness in this. I think there's also a section of society, remember, we are still in some areas quite a deeply conservative society, who have gone out of their way to mount a defense for what is seemingly the indefensible. So people saying, Oh, but just try and understand that's how it was. We're very boys club. There's a very toxic masculinity kind of culture, which I think a lot of sports teams will resonate with mm. and are hopefully trying to change. Um, and people are just like, oh, that's just the way it was. Or, you know, we need to, people need to man up, stop being snowflakes, you know, all this kind of terminology we don't want to use anymore. Mm. So there is that side of it. I think people are still grappling with it. Um, probably also our media is quite divided in that we've still got a conservative sector to the media, then we've got a progressive side to the media. We've got, you know, for example, I'm the only woman of color writing in cricket. I'm actually the only woman who, who writes full time on cricket. So there's that as well. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think people are, are starting to digest now. You know, the testimonies were long. We had a month of five, six hours a day of testimony. So and that's available. People can go and watch it on the YouTube channel. They can read about it. And I guess everybody's now just really looking at it, analyzing it, dissecting it, 
And the real test will come when the responses happen, because I think it's important to note that nobody has to respond. Everybody will be given the right of reply, but you don't have to take it. For mm. mm. those, thanks so much for your time. There's so much more to cover with this, and we might check back in with you in a few weeks' time if you're open to that. Um, just encourage anybody who wants to get across this to re- read Fedosa's article on Prick Info. Articles, I should say, there are many, and it's a very thorough coverage of what, seem, of what is obviously a very important issue and hopefully um, positive things come of it. But it also seems like this is uh, against a broader context, um, one that we can probably understand thematically anyway here in Australia. Um, thanks so much, Fedos, for giving us a little bit of a background as to what's going on. Thank you. Thanks, guys, for having me on. Wait, are you gaming on a Chromebook? Yep. It's got a high-res 120 hertz display, plus this killer RGB keyboard. And I can access thousands of games anytime, anywhere. Stop playing. What? Get out of here. Huh? Yeah, I want you to stop playing and get out of here so I can game on that Chromebook. Got it. Discover the ultimate cloud gaming machine, a new kind of Chromebook. Ampez, wonderful speaker for us, and thank you very much for her time. Um, Andre Adams coming up in a moment's time, but we need to thank the dear, dear people at Budgie Smuggler, budgiesmuggler.com. Use the code CHAMP for free shipping. Custom design. Uh, sorry, custom design. I've made a mistake. I've read my notes, which are incorrect. And I've made a mistake, and that makes me vulnerable. Um, As a man. That's right. That's right. Vulnerable men is the theme. (laughs) Here's a picture of Sam Perry. Now, Pez, uh, on the last Patreon show, we're talking about lone nuts. Uh, Because there was an incident. Were we? (laughs) Because there was an incident the guy wrote in about, and he was talking about um, how he he lost a testicle in an incident, and then everyone called him one nut. That's right. Oh, yeah, and there was some bloke at second slip as he was coming into bowl saying... Come on, Snickers. It only takes one nut. And it takes one nut. And then he dropped the catch. And he dropped the catch, that guy. And he was wearing servo sunnies, that guy. Yeah. So toxic masculinity is the theme of this episode and this entire production. Toxic males. (laughs) Discuss. (laughs) (laughs) Toxic males like to handball uh, issues. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Because you reckon um, the summer ahead... With the summer ahead, I'm just thinking about, like, when's it going to start getting hot? When's it get hot here? In Melbourne? In Melbourne. It takes a while I don't Melbourne. really remember. It takes a while. Because we're in lockdown you don't, you don't, all of last get, year. It doesn't get hot until, like, December. December, yeah. Summer doesn't start until December. And then, like, one day, it's, like, 43. That's right. One day, you walk out into the street, and it's a microwave. That's, yeah. That, that feeling is so cooked, isn't it, mate? Yeah. You've seen the fires in Greece at the moment? No. Absolutely fucked up. Horrendous shit. How, do you think it's? But this will be the last summer. You know, like be in bad. other places, they call them wildfires. Wildfires, yeah. We call them bushfires. Yeah, wildfires is scarier. Do you reckon? I just think wild versus bush. Because you have California, bush is California a lot more wildfires. Sort of, yeah, but bushes. It's just describing what's but, being burnt. Yeah, yeah, I suppose so. Because like when there are bushfires in like the suburbs here, that's still a bushfire. It's not a. Mm. Well, usually it's the bush. It's sort of yeah, yeah, outback. Oh, let us in there. Outback, yeah. yeah. Where does the outback begin? Hmm. Yeah, because C- outback's different to country. Oh, how so? Oh, like there'd be people who'd say live in Newcastle, 
you know, who like... As a country town? Well, Newcastle represents country and rugby, country rugby league. I, I would say Tamworth is country. You'd say that, would you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think people in, I mean, let us know, but like say say Newcastle or, you know, surrounds Port Macquarie or whatever, like yeah. Coffs Harbour, you yeah. call yourself, you're like, oh, I'm from, you're not from the city. You're not from the city. You're not from the city, but you're not from the outback. Oh, God, no. Well, that's what I'm saying. So well, I'm trying no, to find, from, that, okay, find, find I, the boundary. So, 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 yeah, if so, I met someone from Coffs Harbour, and I have, yes. accidentally once. I thought they were from somewhere else. Mm. Lovely area. And if they said, oh, I'm from the outback, but you, you like, can see the water. Yeah. You live on the water. That's yeah. not the outback. And so you, you're, not, you're not from the outback. And they're like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> <North Shore?" laughs> fuck with. Fucking knocks. I'm wearing my school uniform again. <laughs> Why are you 35, mate? Why are you wearing your uniform talking to me? And is that your primary school uniform? You've got shorts on and a cap. I can say the outline of your penis. That's what my year five teacher said. <laughs> Fucking hell. Yeah. We should get changed in our classroom. Think about that. Why? Oh, shit, really? Yeah. Why? I won't say what year. Have you worry. been to Uluru? Yes. Is that amazing? Yes, man. I saw. A, I was looking at a photo the other day of all. It's, it's more amazing that you, you you can't see it on photo. It's one of those. Yeah. You know, when you take a photo like on your iPhone or whatever your device may be. Do <laughs> you want to be inclusive? I want to be inclusive. Want to be device here. inclusive? Do, exactly. That's the name of the show. Um, and, and you take a view, a uh, photo of like a view, and it, you look at it on your phone. You're like, "What the fuck is this?" That's, that's right. That's, is Uluru the same? Because like I look at photos of Uluru, yeah. and I'm like, "Ah, oh, it can't looks get right." It. You, you got to be it. there. How fucking yeah. big it is, right? Well. Yeah, it's like you take a photo of the moon. Yeah, the moon's looking good tonight. Oh, that's a speck on my camera. Um, mm. That's right. I don't think cameras can properly catch it, capture it because you take – I think it's, it's, a, it's a little Harapinta trail. You take a really big trail into – and there's so many other beautiful things to see in Alice Springs as right. you go as you head down from Alice Springs to yeah. Uluru right. into the National Park there, like the Olgas and things like that. And like – but but – because it's in the desert, there is nothingness essentially, as far as the eye can see. Yeah. Until the rock emerges, yeah, and when you sick. see the rock, it is bigger than anything you could have imagined. Like Uluru is obviously one of the totemic symbols of the country, hundred percent, particularly with Indigenous Australia as yeah. well. Yeah. And, um, so you are expecting something phenomenal, I and mean, you are going to Alice Springs to see Uluru. Yeah. And and yet it still manages to surpass your expectations wow. when you see it. That's cool. Uh, and it's everything around it as well. I mean, I went in uh, November and so it was very hot and you, yeah, you needed to get everything done by 12 o'clock. Oh, Otherwise right. too hot, yeah, you know, right. even before then, maybe even by nine. Like it just, it just gets to, you're, you're 45, see you later, especially, pack them. And you white. don't, you're not jumping out into the sun. You're <laughs> just finding shade everywhere. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. No, it's, it really is spectacular. Some yeah. of the shit there. You can't, it's very difficult to capture on camera, I think. Yeah, and like, yeah. mate, the, and then you walk around it, um, not up it. No, you want to go up it. Mate, you see the, Have a look at the view. it's actually really sad. You see the footmarks of people going up. There's footmarks on it, ah, you know, grim. not like. You know, bowling of the footmarks. <laughs> 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 Fuck it out. Fuck it out. Joe, wouldn't mind of them. <laughs> right arm round. Um, it's like a, it's like a nine kilometre walk around it. It's like, it's like holy it's, shit. Hey, it's, she's a big rock. Big old rock. She's a big old rock. But it's not just the rock. It's and it's like it's red as fuck. It's it's amazing. Big hey. old red thing is it? Yeah, I am big old red thing. Can you put it in great terms? <laughs> Can you put Ula ruin great There's terms? footmarks on it. It's a big old red thing. <laughs> but you want to bowl on those footmarks, yeah. Jesus Christ. Uh, so it's really cool. Uh, that sounds awesome. I'd love to do it. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, I want to go back to Prague, so. 
quite also wonderful. A lot of the, a lot of the Central European countries, you know, deal with the, uh, the, history, the history of communism in their own way. I was a hungry man. Budgie smuggler. Dot com. <laughs> That's the most ridiculous one we've ever done. Andre Adams, here he is. All right, this man represented now world champions New Zealand 47 times through the 2000s, the early 2000s. He played 173 first-class matches, making near on 5,000 rounds. I've rounded up a little bit, but let's call it 5K. Uh, and he took 692 wickets, so that's 700 wickets. Um, he's now a sort of a seam whisperer, a pace whisperer of sorts. I mean, I know every coach has to market themselves now, um, so we'll ask him if he does the same. He's been the head bowling coach and assistant coach at Cricket New South Wales since 2018. He's the bowling coach at the Sydney Sixers. That's what he's linked in says anyway uh it's the man they call dre uh andre adams welcome to the great cricketer brother oh thanks for having me what an intro that is i, I don't even think my mum could have written that better <laughs> i've got to just say from the outset particularly if you're watching on youtube but people will hear this as well mm. y- you have the greatest uh production setup of any interviewee <laughs> we've ever had including camera <laughs> angles um but w- what's behind the kit you know are you a gamer or uh, are we just yeah, um Twitch, did you just go and buy talk- this yesterday oh it's a yeah i just you know when you messaged i thought i'd better get myself set up um <laughs> And I rushed out and bought about eight grand's worth of gear, so, um, <laughs> you know, just for this, just for this interview. So just the dedication to the cause. No, actually, I'm long time geek. Actually, my my brother is uh, he he he's pretty heavily into the computers, and um, now that I'm in a situation where we can afford this stuff, I, and with lockdown, I got very very bored. I had to tinker. I learned how to build computers, and of course, everything I saw, I had to have. So this is what's in front of me. It's um, yep, it's heavily gaming orientated. Um, but it, it is unnecessary, definitely unnecessary, but I like it. But once you get that crisp audio that brings out that velvety voice you have, it's just yeah. hard to turn back, isn't it? Mm. You know, everything else just feels a little bit second rate. Yeah, now you sound like my wife rather than my mum, so, yeah, we'll, we'll just keep it, we'll keep it above board, please. <laughs> um, Andre, you, you're a, you've spent plenty of time in Australia now, a bit of a journeyman cricketer, which means that you've been good enough to take your skills to a lot of different places. Um, I, I know you played grade cricket in Sydney. What's your relationship to uh, this very storied level of the game? Uh, in terms of um, grade cricket with, with Sutherland, it was I was, I was at the ICL um, back in 2007 and, and up. Uh, fitness trainer uh, or assistant coach here, yeah, yeah. The um, <laughs> we're the we're the what we were, we were the outcasts. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> actually, it was bloody good. I met a lot of really cool people there. But um, the assistant coach there is got with Shane Duff, who was coaching at Sutherland, and he rang me one day and said, "Oh, um, do you know anything about Roger Silence?" And I said, "Yeah, no, was that?" He said, oh, "We're going to have him as overseas player." I said, "Well, I'll, I'll, I'll yeah, I'm not going to talk about Roger. I'll I'll come and do that job. Thanks." So <laughs> I thought, you know, ch- a chance for six months in Cronulla. Um, you know, uh, um, down at the beach was northeast. Um, yeah, it was too hard to too hard to turn down. So um, I, I turned up here in two thousand nine, ten, and um, I instantly fell in love with the place and the people. The the club Sutherland, unbelievable, absolutely mm. unbelievable. It was probably um, it was one of the best club seasons and overseas jobs I've ever done. So um, I was mm. incredibly grateful for that opportunity. It's obviously one of the highlights of your career, but you guys won the one-day final in 2009-10, mm. pretty much the mm. pinnacle of the sport. Mm. Um, <laughs> Phil Jakes, Nick Maddinson, Andre Adams probably should win, probably mm. should win a comp with three international players. Yeah, it, it, it's funny you say that, taking the piss, but actually um, it, w- it was a real highlight because um, so many guys hadn't won and mm. we got an opportunity to win. Uh, and So it was 
we played against a very good team, but um, mate, I, I love, I loved it. I loved it was, and I took it pretty seriously. You know, we talked about being angry before on here, before we came on here. <laughs> At that point in my life, I was less tame than I am now. So it was mm. um, it was a cool opportunity every weekend. But yeah, we had a good, mate. We had um, Smudge playing as well. Probably not in that yeah. game, but Steve um, Smith, yeah. But yeah, he, he yeah. yeah. He he went okay. Yep. <laughs> so, <laughs> are team. you saying that, like, if if we were to face an, an old school or like a back in the day Andre Adams, you'd be meeting a, an angry, fiery competitor? Were you were you at the bat? Were you at the batters? What's how would people re- reflect on? Yeah, I, I'd like to say that I, what would have been really good was if my pace matched my anger. That would have been great. <laughs> um, unfortunately, it was just I'd say a good few cogs below my anger um but the intensity was there there was an intensity to it yeah yeah uh let's talk about the test match that you played andre for new zealand one test against england one win mm. six wickets mm. uh but then you're sort of pigeonholed as a white ball specialist like, like how do you f- reflect on the one test that you played well i think they figured out uh pretty quickly that the masquerade was over and um <laughs> You know, it was it was one test, and I was like, "Yeah, it was yeah, it was good, but you're too short. You know, not fast enough." Um, yeah, yeah I, I don't know, man. It, it was it was just one of those times. It was it was a it was an interesting time in my career. I was very good at first class cricket, um, not very good at white ball cricket at all. In fact, I didn't like the format at all. So it was funny playing it because I didn't have any idea what I was doing, and I knew that the whole time. So um, when I did have success, I was kind of like, "Ooh." Uh, that was lucky. Um, and when I didn't have success, it was like, <laughs> see, I told you, you're crap. So, um, <laughs> yeah, the, the test match though, was, was I got injured after that. Mm. Um, New Zealand wanted taller fast bowlers, and I'm only 5 foot 11. So mm. um, I didn't quite match the criteria. My record was decent. Mm. So, um, yeah, that was a bit of a uh, – it was a tough one to take, but, mate, it is what it is. I played my test match. I – and if I hadn't have if I hadn't have missed out there and I hadn't have gone to Nottinghamshire, I wouldn't have played as long because I lost the, my love for the game. Mm. Um, and so to go to Nottinghamshire and to be a a, a, a part of an amazing team, an amazing club, I made that was like a dream come true. A county, I was an absolute cricket geek as a youngster, so to play county cricket was kind of like the pinnacle for me. I couldn't play Sheffield Shield, mm. um, so I got to play county cricket and pretty fortunate. So. I like the idea that New Zealand were going for the rig-based selection. They saw you and thought, nah, let's get Jacob Oram in. Mm. Um, <laughs> let's get the biggest yeah. guy we can find. Mm. In, that, uh, in, that, in that test that you did play, I believe it was the first test where they ever played under light with the floodlights mm. on. Um, yeah. do you, I think they, they turned them on at like 6 o'clock and they finished at like mm. 8.30 or something and the, the moon was out. And uh, yeah. do, do you remember? The stars were shining. It was beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really did you give us a wine by any chance? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do you remember? Do you remember uh, sort of the conversations around that? Was there sort of a bit of hesitation, a bit of fear? I mean, uh, NASA was the NASA Hussain was the captain of England at the time. I think he might have a little bit been a little bit hesitant about it. But do you remember the, sort of the conversations around it at the time about cricket under floodlights? Hesitant, mate. They had us nineteen four or four for nineteen, <laughs> mate. We were, jeez, we, we were clutching. Yeah. <laughs> we were clutching. Yeah. Um, the conversation was that we would play under lights if 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 needed. Mm. Um, and and before we knew it, because we were batting, the lights came on, and um, I think Usman um, tried to catch a ball on the boundary, and and um, I, I can't remember Usman Afzal ball went up. Yeah, he came on a subfield. I couldn't see the ball. Ended up trying to protect himself, and it landed 
you know, about 10 yards over that massive hit of about 35-yard boundary <laughs> down at Eden Park. Um, and that was kind of funny. But then, yeah, I don't think anyone was disadvantaged by it, really. Mm. Um, it was an awesome spectacle. It really was to, to have test match um, late in the season played under lights. It was a bit weird, but it was really cool. Mm. And, um, and I, I remember thinking at the time, this is awesome, like, you know, to be part of this first yeah. test match played on the lights is really cool. Because mm. that was that was two thousand two for our younger listeners, mm. so this is well before mm. pink ball stuff. I mean, you mm. would have you would have answered this question many times, but there's one of a one of the one of the great film clips, uh, so YouTube clips going around um, mm. of you dismissing um, Andrew Flintoff by he's yeah. pl- he plays and misses and misses it by about a week and a half. You don't even appeal. Mm. Um, yeah. What is going on there? Yeah, it's it, yeah yeah he missed it by. I'm going to say 12 inches, yeah. and that might be that might be short a few. We all heard um, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah well, oh, that's the thing. Perore was confident. The, yeah, well, the, the, the slip cord and were convinced he'd hit it. Right. They were convinced, and they gave me like, they gave me shit for not appealing. And I was like, well, no, 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 he missed that. And they're like, no, no, he hasn't missed that. And the, and the replay came up, and it was kind of like tumbleweed rolled through. And, and I said to our friend, do you want to call him back? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not really. So um so yeah, I mean he he just he just topped one for six and you're right, it was a good boy, he played a miss that deserved look at you just mentioned that you didn't know what you were doing in white ball cricket. Um mm. nevertheless, Queenstown two thousand and three, seven match ODI series against India, New Zealand a three nil up. You come on the twelfth over, the second ball of that spell, you nab Saywag Saywag, pack him. Mm. A few overs later, Dravid bowled. Uh, Dinesh Mongia, Mohamed Kaif, and then Nera at the end. You finish with five for 22. Uh, a few games later, four for 21 as well against India, in- including the prize wicket of uh, Ganguly, bold. Um, which wicket do you prize the most, and, and what did you say to Dada, Saywag, and Dravid when you sent them off? <laughs> unlucky, fellas. You don't know how unlucky you are. Um, <laughs> I would... Yeah, I don't know. Those, those wickets were they, were, they were definitely seem friendly in terms of they had they had a lot more pace and carry than, than we were used to. Um, Indians at that point didn't like that. So that suited us pretty well. Um, what did I say? I didn't say anything. I was I was kind of happy and surprised and relieved to be back in the team. I'd just come back from a stress fracture. Um, what wicket do I prize the most? I, I don't know. I think, um, I think my actually. When we when we got uh, Damien Martin caught a point oh, in yeah. the two thousand two yeah, VB series because we talked about how well, don't bowl cut shot tomato because he just you know he just cuts and we are okay well we're going to put eight men there and see yeah. if he can cut through there and he hit it nicely but it, it was just it was you know it was my first tour of Australia I'd never I didn't realise how much everyone loved cricket in this country mm. and it was unbelievable I got the MCG and there's people everywhere and. There's lights going off and there's people cussing me out at fine leg and I was loving it. It was awesome. Was like some, guy was, some guys like veins were popping out of his face when I when I Fuck. when I caught Mark War down at fine leg and I was like, man, I've I've ruined your day. This is awesome. This is awesome. So mate, it was yeah that that one I think I remember the most because just the feeling in our t- in our team we sort of came of age and I think you know Bondi mm. came on the scene was bowling Thunderbolts and mm. you know, we were footing it with Australia and we always saw Australia as the big brothers and mm. it was just a wonderful um, wonderful experience you talk about Shane Bond there because I remember the 2003 World Cup really mm. distinctly and I remember the game against Australia and New Zealand really well it was at Port Elizabeth New Zealand had Australia I want to say like 7 for 80 or something and then Bevan mm. and Bickle got Australia up to about 200 I think Bickle got about 60 I remember two things really clearly from that game you bowled a double bouncer to mm. Andy Bickle, mm. and Shane Bond took like six for 20. 
So two, yeah. two questions, because mm. I, know, I know you've tried the double bouncer thing before. You actually bowled Kumble with it. So it was obviously a thing that you had tried. Um, boulders, yeah, boulders the technical term. Yeah, he hit his yeah. wickets. <laughs> he yeah, hit he hit his, his own wickets, yeah. Because of the sheer pace, I think he was scared of the pace. So <laughs> he, he, must have been, he must have um, been scared of the pace. Yeah, that was exactly what happened. So, yeah, so um, yeah, another thing happened in that game. So after I bowled the double bouncer, the Bix um, hit out mm. of um, PE. Uh, <laughs> one slipped out of my hand, and I hit him on the head at about 138 k's oh. on the full. And... Um, so that that was that was one of those moments where I, I thought I thought he was dead, like I, I thought I'd killed him because um, he went down and it, and as as it came out of my hand, I thought, oh no! Um, then when it hit him, I I thought, oh, oh no! Mm. And then he stayed down, and I just didn't know what to do. Um, and I and I I sort of stood there, and then um, he got back up and he scored some more runs. And he's such a tough character, mm. man. Such a tough. No one takes a. a a ball in the back of the head at 138 k's and then carries on, you know. Like, and he got up, scored some more runs. I went in to see him at half time, and um, he was like, Yeah, I'm cool, mate. I actually went into the um, changing rooms and I was, you know, but like a little lost dog, you know, wandering around, like, Please don't hurt me. And, um, <laughs> you know, there's Matt Hayden standing there, like, <laughs> Yeah, put your shirt on, mate. It's all good. Um, and, 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 and yeah, I, I didn't know what to do. So that, that actually really, it really shook me up. Yeah. Um, and then we shot ourselves in that game. Um, Binger came on and bowled Thunderbolts and Yorkers, and mm. yeah, we 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 lost the plot there rather than um, anything mm. else. And that was a that was a cool lesson as well. Like we we just didn't think we could beat Australia at that, at yeah. that stage. Mm. Um, but yeah, it, that was that was a that was a game that um, I remember for Bondies. That was that was one of the best bowls I've ever seen. Yeah, and we couldn't we couldn't get it get it um, get it done. And even though one person had given us. Every opportunity to win a game, we still messed it up. It was pretty awful. Yeah, so just just on Shane Bond, I mean, he might be the the guy, like the the biggest what could have been guy, maybe in New Zealand cricket, maybe in world cricket. I mean, he was so electric. He was lightning quick in that era where there was also Akhtar and Brett Lee at the same time. But I feel like we never got to see the full potential of that sort of a, a long career with Shane Bond. But he was just an unbelievable bowler, wasn't he? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a funny one because, you know, when, when you're – when you think back at it, you go, oh, we missed out on so much. But when he was there, he provided so much. And I think mm. no matter how effective you are, there's always periods in your career where you get where you go through a low and you get found out a little bit. And so he didn't really have to go through that. But when he was on, there was so much fear. You know, his bowling, his record against Australia is something stupid. Like, yeah. he got his wickets averaging 16 or something against Australia. And that's probably the best cricket team that i've ever seen particularly in, in, in white ball cricket yeah um just the balance of it and, and how many how many legends played in that team i remember <laughs> i remember, remember he bowled a punch at the mcg and punted a lot and, and it went you know about 150 yards into the stand and i was standing at cover a lot <laughs> looked at bondy bondy was like fuck that was a good shot <laughs> you know he, he just he just loved the game he's a he's an amazing person he's really genuine he's a good coach um he's a good mate mm. um, um I, I in the in the test match just gone, Andrew Strauss was talking about Brett Lee and facing Brett Lee in Australia, and he was just sort of saying, like, oh, Brett Lee actually wasn't that hard to face in Australia. You have faced Brett Lee. Um, he actually got yeah. you out in that 2003 game. Um, how yeah. easy is he to face? Uh, well, uh, yeah, I faced one ball off Brett Lee. Yeah. So I found him a bit difficult. Yeah. That, yeah. that hit my stumps. Yeah. 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 Quite hard to so, pick up. Yeah. It, it's hard to pick up when... You, you have your eyes closed and you want to be somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, Andre, can, can I ask about your coaching? Because it's a, it occurs to me that 
Um, there are a number of guys who I've seen in the press have attributed a uh, huge improvement, um, not solely to you, but you're mentioned quite often when it comes to mm-hmm. bowlers who've improved. Nathan McAndrew, um, Harry Conway, Sean Abbott, and Mitchell Stark are probably most famously, you got, you got Mitchell Stark bowling fast again, or at least he attributed a lot of his improvement back to you. I've got so many questions about your coaching and, and what it is that might um, that might be your edge. But one thing I noted in something Stark said was when he was struggling a few years ago that he had 450 coaches telling him mm. different things. And I want to mm. know, from you working in the state system, you've got a guy coming back from the international level. You've got to, I presume, like um, calculate where you fit into that player's career and how much they want your advice and how yeah. you how do you impress yourself upon them if at all how do you gain the trust of a player like that or even know that they're opening the door to you because there are so many people in cricket now mm. who are just wanting to, wanting a piece you know including yeah. us so yeah. but like you know how, how yeah. do you know yeah. that you're the person they want to work with and uh, how do you develop that relationship Oh mate, uh, great mate. That's that's such a good question. Um, and I might not be. I might not be that guy. Um, but exactly like you said, first you got to figure out where you fit in. You know, mm. when there's so when there's so much information coming at people, and first of all, we have to understand that that information is coming from a good place most of the time. Even when someone like warning is having a crack at someone, mm. it's coming. It's coming from a place of I want you to do better. I think you can do better. I know you can do better, so I'm going to do what I think is going to help you do be better. And so you have to understand that. Whether it's helpful or not is is relevant to the person. It's like when you tell a joke, you know, it's funny if both people laugh, you know. It's not funny if I laugh and you go, no, I didn't really like that, you know. So you have to be on the same page with that person and you have to know where it's coming from. So um, first of all, you just got to take your time and see where you can fit in. Um there was absolutely no rush. I mean, I walked into the chain room, and the, I walked into the physio room, and you know, there's Hazelwood, Cummins, Lyon, and Stark. You know, and they turn around, and they go, "Hey, coach," and I'm like, <laughs> "You know, it's my first day on the job." I'm like, <laughs> and that's when I thought, "Am I? Am I actually your coach? Am, am, am I? What can I? What can I tell you guys? What can I say to you guys?" Instantly, I want to say something that can impress them, but actually, mm. there's no point. There's no point doing that because you, you, you're not there to impress them. You're there to give them what they need. So. Um, yeah, it took a long time. Took a took about eight months to have a conversation, a deeper conversation with with Hoff around what he needed. He was injured. Uh, most of your opportunities will come when people are injured, but you've got to see how people are, see how they act, see what sort of person they are. And I think Starkey was a snarling fast bowler, but he's you know he's a normal human being like everyone else. He has feelings, um, and we got we got to remember that just because they get paid really well, like people think that. Oh, they get paid really well, so therefore they're immune to everything. Mm. Like like Naomi Osaka, I was listening to some guy giving it to her mm. because she's a oh well if she was the CEO of a company, well she's not, mate. She, mm. <laughs> she's mm. not. So like don't don't go there. And and even if she was, you don't have a right to um, take away from someone's mental health just because they're getting paid more than yeah. you are. So first you've got to find out where you are, find out what sort of person you're dealing with, find out what makes them tick, um, where they are, what they need, and Something Wayne Smith said, who's the ex-All Blacks coach, it's our job to give the players exactly what they need. So to do that, you've got to find out exactly what they need. Mm. So, you know, it's re- it's really clear that you would, as a coach, like bring a pretty high level of um, emotional intelligence to that skill. Uh, and maybe that's part of the reason why you're highly regarded by 
the players? Uh, like, it's probably hard for you to answer, but um, how many how many coaches do you think? It's not so much a number, but like, are there a high number of coaches who are coaching who are merely trying to replicate their playing days? Um, and turn players into maybe who they were or what things used to be like. How separate a skill is coaching in and of itself to playing the game? Um, and how important is it that you've played at a certain level? And there's a few questions within that. Yeah, a couple of questions there. Yeah. Um, okay, so first one is I, I think most of the time people are doing what they know. And so, like I said, the intention is really important. I don't know if they're trying to... I don't know if they're trying so much to create clones of themselves or or they're just that's what they know works. And so if, when you come down, you know, from it if you think about it from a from a parenting point of view, you know, we these rules around what we do with our kids and stuff, it's like, well, why why do we have these rules? We have these rules because people have that that's this can that's our conditioning, that's what we've learned. And so until you ever until you learn to challenge your belief system, you'll never challenge the way you do things because it's just accepted. And so now the players are getting a bit better at saying, I don't like that. Um, you have to then be able to uh, justify what you're doing or make it uh, make the reasoning fit the exercise. And um, because I, I told you so, and because I'm the head coach or I'm the coach, doesn't cut it. Um, and so, yeah, so, and, and that's, so, that, so that's, a, that's, a, that's a challenge because questioning your belief system is uh, a very difficult thing for most people. Because um, once we start asking the questions around our belief system, we start opening the door to uh, a lot more questions and a, and a lot of a, a lot of um, confusion, I think, as well. And so, people don't really want to know where they came from; they just want to be, and it takes less energy. So, um, yeah. What was sorry? What was your second question? I I paddled on. Yeah. No, that's I think that's a sufficient. Answer. I, I, I suppose if I could tack one onto the back, do do you think uh, that players today um, have a different relationship to coaches and a different relationship to their sport, mm-hmm. or they they operate differently to players in your day? I mean, it's a I guess it's a cliched generational difference question, but do you take that into account with your own coaching that that kids are different? Yeah, absolutely. Well, the world's different. You know, we, we live in we live in an age where everyone's exposed to um, to some poison. You know, like a, a, even my thirteen year old and my sorry, my fourteen year old, and my seventeen year old. I just cut a year off his life there. That'd be nice. Yeah, do that, <laughs> it? Um, sorry, mate. Go back through puberty again. Um, yeah, look, I, I, we live in an age where everyone's exposed to some stuff that they that they should be shielded from, and 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 they're also like a lot of people are exposed to these high levels of cortisol expectation from their phone. I, I live on my phone. It makes me feel good. Mm. And so when they look at their phone and it makes them feel good and it makes them feel bad at the same time, it's a real, it's a real confusing time. Mm. So um, essentially I, I think people are so exposed to so much now that they're, they're all over the place emotionally. There's no stable stuff. And, and that, that's a real, that's a real challenge to live from. So I think, I think you've got to, you got to be really clear what you're dealing with and how when you're speaking to people, you can relate to them. I just think the world is different, so we can't expect to do things the same way I did them. There was no phones when I grew up, mate. I fell out of trees and jungle gyms and, <laughs> you know, barefoot walking around in New Zealand standing on bees. Mate, you stand on a bee over here now, like it's an emergency, a national emergency. So, you know, I think it's – everyone's so sensitive to so many things. So I, the world's so different is what I'm trying to say. Mm. None of that's really relevant to um, to coaching other than the fact that, 
it's not the same world that we grew up in, and so you have to be aware of that. Mm. I just noticed that um, Sean Tate's just been announced as the Bangladesh bowling coach, and I'm wondering if Afghanistan. No, I think it's Bangladesh. Okay, sorry. I'm just wondering if Bangladesh actually need any more help bowling bowling teams out. At the yeah. <laughs> mm. oh, no, they're going. They're going good. I think. Um, yeah, he's. Uh, Sean's an interesting one because he contacted me the other day. Um, well, not the other day. He contacted me last week, and I and I was like, oh, this, that's good. Like he's so different. I think he could be a very, very good coach. And Bangladesh full of very different people. So um, I don't really want to go near your um your comment though. I'm just gonna. <laughs> I'm going to leave that one. I wasn't very good at leaving them when I played. I might back away yeah. and leave that one, which is probably more down my alley. Uh, Andre, man, thanks thanks so much for joining us. I feel like there's so much more uh, to talk through, especially in relation to coaching. But really appreciate you joining us, mate, and also appreciate how good your kit is and your voice. Uh, so it would be good to talk again, if only for just to, to enjoy the production value that you're bringing to this show. Yeah, the velvet. What a pleasure. What a pleasure. It's, honestly, it's been my pleasure, fellas. I, mm. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Hashtag RCDC Pews. Here we go. Uh, of course, of questions here. If you want to get, uh, if you want to get hashtag RCDC Fridays every Friday on Patreon.com forward slash Grey Cricketer. Uh, if that is your want, Cal Hellyer writes in. Boys, a few years ago, I attended a barbecue and drinks type night with a few of the boys. The host was a grade cricketer slash old friend from high school, and some of his mates were there, including a first grade cricketer. And a, f- and a fair number of drinks, especially, sorry, after a fair number of drinks, especially for myself, we went outside for a game of night backyard cricket. My mate had what looked like a great setup. His backyard was probably three pitch lengths wide. It was slightly longer than a pitch, which allowed for a little run up, a little astro pitch, a few meters long, and most importantly, a very bright light that would probably have sufficed in an ODI in Durban in about 2006. Nice reference. Okay. Amongst the group were two elite rowers, a former almost AFL draftee, and two first-grade cricketers, one of which specialised in pace bowling, and the other was a bowling all-rounder. Then there was me. My current sporting exploits see me struggling to get a game in the reserves in a local footy comp. I'm known to my teammates as Ox. Almost none of them know my actual name. I've never played a single game of cricket at any level. So, when it was my time to bat, I was extremely drunk. I picked up the bat and wandered down the pitch, wandered down to the pitch, anticipating my inevitable doom. When I got there, it was a horrible start. I realized my mate's light only made the setup look good. But when facing, the light was directly in the batsman's eyes. <laughs> the bowlers were hard to make out. The boys clarified the rules to me. If I get hit on the leg, they will fairly decide whether it was LBW. If I nick it, if I if I nick through to the net behind me, I'm gone. Then there were normal bold court and over-the-fence dismissal rules. I'm up against it. My only ability with the bat, which I had crafted over many years of backyard cricket with my dad, was to create a Dravid-like defensive wall, if I do say so myself. So I made it my duty to see how long I could last. I set a target of five deliveries. I hoped I would face the non-cricketers as much as possible, which didn't happen. Over the next half hour or so, facing the majority of deliveries from the cricketers, I managed to hold out. I took a strict approach. If it's straight, I block. If it's on four stump line or wider, I leave. If it's going down leg, I leave. What made the <laughs> what made this particularly challenging was the pitch had highly unpredictable bounce. A length ball would either bounce normally, keep low at ankle height, or bounce up to my head. If it bounced, I let it hit me. If it bounced, I let it hit me, and when it kept low, I found I had extremely good hands. 
that not that only seemed to exist in this drunken state. In total, I survived 76 deliveries and nicked off on delivery 77, finally succumbing to a wider delivery I needn't have played. All things considered, it was a remarkable achievement. However, late in my innings, a ball was careering towards my legs. I knew it was safely going down leg if it, if it hit me and thought, well, I would like to play one shot in these epic innings. I attempted a leg glance. As it got closer, however, it seemed to swing further and further away from me. So naturally, given I'd committed to the shot, I followed it. Now I was wearing oldish now, I was wearing oldish runners that were very low in grip, and in the process, somehow I managed to slip upwards as both my feet ended up very airborne before I eventually face planted on the very turf that had just let me down so badly. I looked to see the other end of the pitch to see five blokes literally rolling on the ground laughing. It was possibly the most humiliating moment of my life. One of those blokes to this day still still describes it as the funniest thing he's ever seen. I plunged recklessly onwards, but the damage was already done. Questions. So whilst not trying to claim this entire performance was some kind of alphaing, I would like to put forth that I was a minnow holding my own against alphas. However, does inserting my most embarrassing moment of my life into, into my most alpha prove how non-alpha I am? Does my defensive approach preclude any possibility of, respecting, of respect amongst alphas? And does the fact that I still remember how many deliveries I faced prove I could never have been an alpha anyway? Thanks. Boys. Thanks, Kale. I get Fucking man, the, hell the, of a tale. The thing that's... Uh... Yeah, for that bloke for whom that's the funniest thing they've ever seen in their life, that's uh, I've, I've got questions about that. Few questions. I guess the thing that runs through this piece for me, he goes, my my abiding emotion is suspicion. Sure, as it normally is. Sure, of course, of course, to course, me. of course. But like, yes, yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> there's a there's a they're at a barbecue and drinks type night. Yeah. Presumably, this is pre-COVID stuff or whatever. Well, I should certainly hope so, Sam. Indeed, depending on what they're. <laughs> and there's a first grade cricketer there. It sounds Western Australian to me. Rowers, draftees, cricket. It sounds Western Australia. If you're sort of, if you can play sport, yeah, and you're at a barbecue drinks type night, yes, like it's almost your responsibility from an identity perspective yeah. to not get involved. That's right. Which is much like covering your own lid. That's right. That serves to highlight. Mm-hmm. How much you play, yeah. how much you want to break from it. Yeah. How little you need this How moment. little you need it. And in mm. fact, in many cases, you might authentically detest the game that you play so often. Many do. <laughs> and so when Kale says that all of these elite athletes, yeah. including a first grade cricketer, mm-hmm. are they elite? Let's say so for our own <laughs> yeah. comfort. Yeah. Heavily involved in a in a game mm-hmm. during a, a nighttime yeah. barbecue drinks. I'm like, is it is this some park shit? Is yeah. someone telling you they play first, yeah, yeah, but it's yeah. some park shit because they're, really, they're getting a bit keen on this game? Someone's identified as an AFL almost draftee. What? Well, that's okay, so he's not any of those things. He's just a footy player. Yeah, Club that, footy that's, player. That's a lot of, you know, that's higher than first grade, you know, depending but, on what state. Well, yeah, but he almost made the draft. What does oh, that mean? Oh, yeah, because your name is next to the word draft. Yeah, that but you almost, so you didn't. Yeah. But, you're but that's like saying I almost played for I Australia. Man, he almost got drafted. They almost got drafted. But, but he didn't. Yeah. But and but these people are all participating in this game. Why? What's the catch? Yeah. So that's why I'm suspicious. And not only that, Kale, to be fair, like adopts the right mm. approach if you are playing backyard cricket mm. or whatever. If you can't play that well, defend, defend, defend. Mm. That's good. People will respect that. Yeah. But like finally plays a shot, slips. 
It's like, mm. oh, mate, that's the funniest fucking thing I've ever seen in my life. Not now, sure about what's this friendship. What's going group? on? <laughs> what's going on, Ox? Ox, yeah. I, I, I'm i sure Kale wasn't expecting this kind of answer. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, did I do the right? Like, you were fine, Kale. You know, you're participating in it. It's, it's like karaoke, like we said before. You go well and you're respected if you're not very good at it, but you give it a shot. Kale but if, win- you, if you bring skills to yeah. something which is being done recreationally. Oh, yeah, and, yeah, like, yeah. That's, no, 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 that's, no, no. It's grim and wrong that's and it's worthy so of suspicion. Yeah, 100%. If I was an outsider watching, if I was, say, on a balcony yeah. at a different uh, apartment but overlooking this yeah, as yeah, a yeah, cricketer, yeah, I'm yeah. sitting there having a few beers, yeah. I'm just normally lo- watching another party. Well, no, what happened? <laughs> Why are you masturbating for some reason? <laughs> I've got no pants on. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Now, when you see someone else playing any sport anywhere, whatever sport it is, you have to have a look to yeah. judge their skill level. Exactly. And you do it with disdain. I was watching some guys kick an AFL ball the other day. I've never played AFL. I had a look yeah. how they're kicking them. Yeah. Don't yeah. worry about that. Sorry, yeah. Uh, are you guys any good? Mm. But if I was looking at that and, ke- and people were keen, I'd be like, well, they're, they're not. They're not. They can't play. Now, can't pl- no, no one who can play the game actually participates in nah, these things with, nah, with actual nah, authenticity. No, no, no. Unless they're trying to. Um, injure somebody, in which case it's okay for for, for humour. Yep. Yeah. If you want to injure or embarrass somebody who deserves it, yeah. and you only do it once, you bowl slow, yeah. and then you just show them one. You let them know. You show, show one, one. One. One only. One. Antonio Samarach. <laughs> yeah. That's, I don't know. Yeah. Anything? Um, I'm surprised he lasted 77 deliveries. Makes me wonder how seriously they were taking it. So maybe they will have taken the piss a bit. Find some left arm stuff, some right arm stuff. Maybe Kale is imagining the whole thing. Yeah. Maybe. One more or? That'll do. That'll do. That'll do for the show. That'll do, Sam. Thank you to, for, for, sorry, thank you to for Dose. Thank you to Andre Adams. Thank you to you out there. And thank you to Bangladesh, the rise of the Bangladesh century. This is it. <laughs> this is what we're living <laughs> in. See you guys next week. <laughs>